welcome to the Monsters and Myths show, where we get people to come and share with us the biggest barriers and obstacles that they've encountered to getting stuff done. These are often biases, beliefs, processes, and people, or misunderstandings and misconceptions. And the biggest thing that we're trying to find out is how do you overcome them? Now, today's guest is the chair of Innovate Finance uh, in the UK. Uh, she is also FinTech Envoy to Her Majesty's Treasury, and previously, amongst many other jobs, she ha has also been the Chief Digital Officer for Lloyds Bank. Uh, Louise Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to see you. And, and and bizarrely, this is the first time that we've ever actually met virtually. We, we're sort of in the same Twitter circles and, and troublemaking circles. And, and although we had never met, actually, the reason why I've got you on here is because of a tweet that you had actually, a tweet thread that you had been uh, a part of, um, which somebody had asked, what are five things that you can uh, talk on with zero preparation? And it wasn't the topics that interested me. It was the fact that you listed your five things. And then at the end of that, you said, and the mistakes that I had made and what I learned from them. And given the kind of roles that you've had in the past, I thought, wow, I have to have Lou on the show because she must have encountered so many barriers and obstacles trying to drive change across an industry that's really, really resistant to change a lot of the time, a very formal financial services, fintech and that kind of a thing, insurance and everything like that. So Louise, without further ado, let's dive straight in. Right. What's your biggest monster or myth that you've encountered? <laughs> So it's, it's really funny because I realised that I've been rounding down. So I'm going to start rounding up that I thought I'd been in financial services about 25 years. I've realised it's actually nearly 30. So <laughs> I've got to start rounding up, Andrew. So that's the first thing. And I think when I started out, we didn't call it digital. We didn't call it innovation. We didn't even know that's what we were doing. So I think my first... My first thing that I learned was actually transformation has nothing to do with the thing that you're delivering. Yes, it's important. Yes, tech is important. Now, this is the obvious one. So let's start there. But I think it's as you start to think about more broadly, the change or transformation that you're making, you start to get into the very thing that actually is the hardest thing to turn. And that is behavior, it's culture, and it's also how you lead and how you help people find their purpose in things. So the one thing I learned very quickly uh, when I started out in Barclays a very long time ago is actually when we think about transformation, you've got to triangulate the delivery of the components that you're doing. Great, lovely roadmaps, all of that type of stuff. Great architecture, brilliant operating models, fabulous but you've got to triangulate that with the changes you make to the business model. What does that really mean? But also more importantly for it to be sustainable is the culture. How do you actually help an organization move when probably 70 to 80% of people don't really want to change? No matter how much we complain about our jobs, we complain about the things that we do, 
if you try to change it, we hang on to them for dear life, because those are the very things that actually also people feel that uh, define us, who we are, and they're not. So I think the thing I learned really quickly, uh, because I got it wrong so many times as we were delivering things out, is actually what does it do to the business model, but more importantly, what does it do to the behaviour and then the culture that you want to you, you really want to shoot for. And let's be honest, and to round that first part up is, you will always get a culture, always. But it's whether it's the one that you intended, I think is the bit that you have to really focus on. And I think most of the time, it probably isn't the culture you intended. And it's how do you actually stay focused on those components as you move forward. So before we move on to your next one, I just want to dive in a little bit there, unless it is one of your next ones. Is So as you said, people are resistant to change. We're naturally resistant to change. So what have you found to be the most successful thing in trying to overcome that resistance to change? How do you get people to be willing to change? How do you get them to embrace change? What's worked best for you? Or haven't you found the, the solution yet? Well, well, actually, partly no. So let me take, because there's two answers to that. One of them stating the obvious and one of them stating the obvious and more controversial. So the first one is around, the first one is around, you have to create stories for people to step into. So what is my purpose in this change? What does it actually mean for me? And that's the bit that we're always taught, aren't we, in 101, change management, whichever methodology you pick, whichever one you go down, whether it's waterfall, whether it's not, it's about change management. How do you help people understand what does this mean for me? What changes in the things that I do? And why is it good for me to move to that? And that's the bit we all recognize. The bit that's a bit more tricky is actually, it's taken me years and again, a lot of other people might have got their way before me, is actually a lot of the change isn't in the people doing the work today, that fear, sorry, a lot. Whilst their roles change, I found, and let me give you an example, the people in an organisation, there are the operations teams that paper over gaps and respond to customers in the background every single day, and know where these end-to-end -end processes work really well and where they don't and what things that might happen that do and all of this stuff they're incredible they are absolutely incredible at helping you identify where change is so it took me ages to figure out i'm not wholly convinced that's where the resistance is but then when i move up the organization and go to pretty senior levels in organizations, and I'm talking some of that middle ground, but also further up, you're actually fundamentally starting to challenge individuals and roles that have been in place for a, an awful long time where you're looking at status, position, power, and actually reward. People have been rewarded for such a long time and built up big rewards in those really senior roles. And fundamentally, it's not the people doing the day-to-day -day work where that change happens. It's actually, it's higher up. 
And that's really hard for people who've worked their way through those roles or moved across different parts of the industry. And you're actually trying to make an organization probably fairer, more equitable, because we're at a point in time now from a financial services perspective. And I think we've always been coming to it where it will change. And I think there's a big difference now. The heritage organizations have controlled that narrative or controlled the conversation or controlled how they engage or when to engage. And actually, I think we're at a point in time now whereas the industry is gonna move anyway. It's gonna move whether they engage or not. So it's becoming more obvious now that actually some of those leadership roles, and I've done them, I've been part of that group, but actually what we were rewarded on and the way we behaved and actually the status, the position that we have is so not important now, but actually how do you exercise that through influence, through collaboration, through partnering in a much different way. And I think that's the bit that I found it a bit later because I was tackling probably downwards in the organization and I was tackling outwards in the organization about how do you help customers adopt? Where in fact, I think some of the, the bigger challenge and dare I say dysfunction sometimes is actually within that, you know, when you're tackling people who are way more senior, who've actually built their careers in a different way. You're challenging their reason for existence, really. They've built a fiefdom and an empire. And now you're saying that's the wrong construct. We're going to demolish your castle and you're no longer Lord of the Manor. Um, And not the Admiral on the ship anymore. It's really, you know, and it's, that's, that's the thing that I think I learned. And I'm still learning is the hardest thing to change. I, so, so that's a brilliant key first lesson is the transformation is less about what you're delivering and the barriers and obstacles are always going to come in the people. It's transformation, a digital transformation, any form of transformation is about people first. Yeah. People processes the way that your business works. The, the bits and bytes and the technology, that's the easy bit. That's yeah, really the easy bit. Brilliant bit of insight there. So let's move on to your next one. What's your next best, best learning and biggest barrier and obstacle? So somebody told, and it was funny because, uh, and I've seen some of the stuff that you've done before, Andrew, and, uh, and you talk about biases and missed things. So let me focus on that. I did an incredible leadership uh, um, course, if that's the right word, or set or series of events, and actually somebody put conflict into a really simple phrase for me. And you know, we're all at work, and you're kind of going, "Why am I still getting notes off that person that just don't seem to resonate?" Or you think I'm doing something that I'm not, or they're that bitey emails that you think, "Oh, did you mean to send that?" Or you usually get them. They're almost like an anchor, aren't you, when you feel like you're drowning anyway. So you're a bit like, oh, fantastic. This is really what I needed at this point in time. And actually, the thing I learned really quickly, that most conflict, not all, most, is actually in communication. And usually it's either because somebody's missed the communication, like just completely missed it. Secondly, they've misunderstood it. 
Or thirdly, there's a miscommunication within it. And I think if you go into, particularly at the start of some of these conversations where you feel like, you know, you feel a bit down because you kind of go, oh God, why, why is that happening? Or you feel like the relationship's a bit strainy with somebody. I've now got to a point and I always go into it, and I wish I'd have learned this a long time ago, that actually everybody has probably got the same intent as you. So if I start with good intent, if I start with any person that I'm engaged with, it's good intent. We're all trying to move in the right direction, let or in the same direction, whether that's right or wrong, different question. But let's start with everybody is moving in the same direction with the right intent. Therefore, it is likely that any challenges around missed communication, a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. Therefore, if you go in with that view, you find most cases, not all, not all, but most cases you can actually resolve something pretty quickly. So I tend to now address things in a different way to maybe I've done before. And let's face it, we've all had those emails late at night or first thing in the morning. We've tried to sleep on them. We've all done the draft, the email, leave it in your inbox and don't send it until you've thought about it. We've all been told not to react, but to respond. And we've all done it. We've all been told it. And there are times because we're human, that doesn't happen. And then you send the note and you wish you hadn't. Yeah, and actually, recall, recall. Yeah, and you can't on a MacBook. So you realise, <laughs> you realise, and now you can actually dodge the kind of like red thing and recall things. So I think for me, it's about start with good intent and go from there. And it's probably something that is actually in the communication and then deal with it in a way. And that leads me to that whole bucket of stuff, which is, don't react to things where you can, but to try and get yourself in a position to respond. It's so important, communication. I had a client recently where it was clear there was a lot of uh, um, resistance to what was being proposed. I sat down with the team. I, I first asked naively, knowing what the answer would be, could I please see your stakeholder map? And everybody looked around at me and they went, what are you doing coming with this fancy words now? You know, stakeholder map, what's that? And I went, right, let's list down all the people that this will impact and all of those who believe that they should have a say in what's going on. We'll park for now whether or not they should or shouldn't, but yeah. the people who think that they should have a say, and we're going to map them out and, you know, who needs to be kept in the loop from an information-only perspective? Who are the actual decision makers? Whose word is law? Who has to be involved that you can't move forward with these? And, you know, stakeholder mapping is a common thing. It's a, but it's not actually widely used. You know, uh, you're mentioning about your, your time in financial services. I've got a lot of gray hair, I believe. I've, I've been in change and transformation all my working life. Um, and most of the time, I've been the one who's been the catalyst for, for change and transformation. And communication is just critical. And these days with digital, people, you know, it, they either do one of two things. It's either selective point communication by email, yeah. or otherwise it's the, you know, 
copy everybody and their dog in on the BCC or anything like that, which again could lead to issues. But it's getting that right at the beginning and going, these are the people, here's the implications if we don't keep them in the loop. So, so keep them informed and don't give them an excuse to be able to turn around and go, I, I didn't know anything about this or anything exactly. like that. Figure out what those objections are going to be and, and head them off from the start. You're right. And actually, what you've just said there, Andrew, so it leads me on to that. And I think even more so now, and particularly over the last couple of years as we've lived in this world. But I'd, but if we take how we worked before the pandemic, that, that wasn't the way to work either, by the way, is that we were all sat in places on laptops and we didn't really engage with each other to where we then were all on virtual. And actually, whatever we move to now, which I wish we'd stop calling the new norm because I don't understand what that means. Actually, we've got to start thinking about all of these basic human elements that everybody wants to know their place. Everybody wants to understand their purpose. We all want to collaborate. We all want to be involved. We all want to offer a view. And for me, a lot of this is, and I haven't got leadership right every time because I probably have exercised at times through status position. I probably haven't always influenced or thought about what does this really feel like because you're under that pressure or you're also mirroring people around you. And let's be honest, we've all done it. As much as we don't want to say we have, we have. But the thing that if, if I follow on from that communication point and how we now have to work, that transparency, if you are not transparent as much as you can be about what things you're doing, how you're working with a team and communicating about that regularly in a way that makes sense, and I'll explode that out in a little bit, is people will fill that gap anyway and they'll fill it probably with the wrong thing because we're human. If we don't understand something, we fill the gaps and we fill the gaps with whatever we think. And actually a lot of the people I work with in FS, they're overthinkers. So you can imagine what gaps have been filled with stuff. So one of the things I, and I realized, and again, I hadn't realized until I started talking about my career that, and it might sound obvious now, but I hadn't thought about it is, in Barclays, in RBS, and when I was in Lloyd of London, I've always been at that moment where a business model is shifting. It's never because, you know, digital is a thing. We didn't call it anything. FinTech, when I was working with the government, the Scottish government and the Treasury on, you know, being a FinTech envoy, it was 11, 12 years ago as the challenges started to rise. We didn't call it FinTech. We didn't know what was happening. You know, we were like, so it's always been at that point in time where something's shifting. Therefore, if you don't talk about what it is that you're trying to move to or trying to look at or the research that you're doing, people will fill in a gap. And it's usually filled in with a bad gap. So it's like, how do you and and actually why that's important individually, as well as doing the right thing that gap becomes filled with perceptions about you. You're the person doing this to me. You're the person changing my role. You're the person who's actually doing bad. And actually, you then create perceptions about people and those perceptions become reality. And, and you know, for me, that means that actually intention becomes irrelevant because 
you are the transforming person that's causing me angst, stress and anxiety. So that transparency of not creating steamy windows, so people appearing in, trying to piece things together, talk about it, create spaces for people to have the conversation. An example in Lloyds of London, we created something called Digital On Air. It, was, it wasn't digital, it was nothing to do with digital. It was literally every Friday between one and two, we had a bunch of guests, internal, external, great leaders who talked about their journeys on transformation. And all it was, was a safe space to ask questions, a safe space to be able to say, what does this mean? What did you learn? What does you know, diversity in this actually mean? How do you make sure you don't leave anybody out of the room? How do you make sure that you've got that thinking in? And you might have to have the conversation four and a half thousand times and that's okay. So I think that transparency is critical. And then the final bit I'd say on communication, and I think you touched on it, Andrew, is in a language that's accessible for people. So we're dealing with, and you have some incredible people in your network and we, we're in the similar Twitterverse and people I admire who inspire me, but we talk about stuff in a language that's reserved for the few. So if we genuinely believe technology has the power to solve for some of the biggest problems from a societal and economic perspective, we're gonna talk about it in a way that makes sense to people. We talk about artificial intelligence in a way that, I'm not kidding, I understand it. And I was, I was doing the keynote and I talked about this with Liz Lumley recently and said, I didn't even understand the next agenda item. <laughs> and it was talking about para, parables and paradigms, somethings or other. And I was like, what does that even mean? And you've got, we've got to make it, because then all that happens is we talk about this stuff in a way that people are like, well, that's not me. I don't need to worry about it. And I think that transparency and a language accessible for people where they can go, I get it. And I actually think we could do this also enables them to find a purpose in that change as well as solve for some stuff you probably never thought you could do. Uh, you're absolutely talking my language and, and, and off air, I need to tell you about making moonshine uh, because I took the process of innovation and I sketched it up on my whiteboard in stick figures and drew a parallel between the process of innovation and the process of making moonshine in a hillbilly still. And then I got a children's book illustrator to illustrate it for me using anthropomorphic animals in cartoons so that I could a number one, nobody in a corporate environment has ever seen innovation presented like this before. I can imagine. <laughs> B number two, because it's cutesy animals and bright colors and everything like this, and they're anthropomorphic animals, there's no bias around age, gender, cultural background, or anything like that. It breaks through all of it. And I bring the whole thing to life with loads and loads of stories that will resonate with whatever particular audience I'm presenting to. So I pick the stories that I use that, that will get those people so that they can picture themselves in the, in the process and go, oh, so innovation isn't something that's done over there in that room with a sign on the door. 
we are all able to participate in innovation in some way because I can see myself there and there and there and there. And that are oh, it's you're absolutely speaking my language there in in making it real for people. And I love I've written that that monster down this steamy windows monster um, <laughs> as your, you know, that opaque layer that seems to exist between teams and across um, across teams when you're trying to to get change to happen across organizations. Yeah, that, that point you've just said on innovation, it's funny, isn't it? When I started, I'm sounding older and older as I'm going through this is, do you remember we had the head of customer role and the head of innovation role? And actually you all thought, okay, so I don't have to worry about the customer and I don't have to worry about innovation. Yeah. And that's crazy because actually those are the very things that I, and, you want, and, and to be honest, Andrew, I mean, you've worked in FS as well. I think the one big lesson, uh, there's several, but the challenges in all parts of FS taught us was they didn't talk about the customer, you felt it. Yeah. And I remember walking into the early phases of all of the challenges we all now know and love and they're big scaled organizations. And even with two or three uh, people in the teams, you just felt the customer. And I think that was the big thing they taught us was you don't need customer head ofs and innovation head ofs it's everybody's problem. And I think that's why that language of accessibility is so important as we kind of move forward. Fantastic. Lou, this is all we've got time for, for the show, but you have shared so much with us and, and I'm going to drop your LinkedIn link in the, in the show notes, if you don't mind, just in case people want to reach out to you and find out more about your journey that you've made. And if they want to perhaps dig a little bit deeper into how you've overcome the barriers and obstacles, I'm sure actually that we could have had you back on here for multiple sessions because I'm sure you've got many more st stories to share, and I would love to find out about those the next time we hopefully meet in person for a change. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for coming on today's show. Thank you. Yes.